Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. We always ask that you download the app, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, so that you could have access to all of our station's content. Um, and wherever you see Joe and I, if you don't mind, uh, social media, primarily on YouTube at the Frontline TV, the Frontline TV, uh, hit a like, a subscribe, a share, all that fun stuff. It helps us out and gets us out to a wider audience. That's, of course, if you like what we do today, we are very pleased and honored to be joined of Father by Father Abbott of the Our Lady of Clear Creek Act. And the topic of the conversation is Marian Sounds of Advent. So uh, this is a little change of pace for Joe and I. Usually we're we're talking about something having to do with color wars, things like that. Uh, we promise too much trouble on our show. But this is important. Marian Sounds event. Uh, it's a great conversation to have. Rorate Celli. Um, that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, just very quickly, Father Abbott, Our Lady of Clear Creek is a Benedictine community belonging to Solemn Congregation. It was founded in 1999 from the Abbey of Our Lady of Fatombo in France and is located in the Diocese of Oklahoma, having been elected as Temple Priory in 2000, Clear Creek became an abbey in 2000. Father, welcome to the front with Joe and Joe. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. So with that, I'm, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello, and we'll have a great conversation. Okay. Father, would you lead us in prayer before we begin the discussion? I shall. Is it okay if I do it in English? Is that okay with you? You do it any way you want. Okay. Our Father, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and the hour of our death. Amen. 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 Thank you for that, Very Father. Good. Father, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I have a confession to make. When we first started the show in 2020, um, I used your calendar to book all of our uh, our uh -oh. guests. So <laughs> I've known about your uh, I, I literally used this and all wrote all the people, you know, who were interviewing. So I've known about your Abbey from some time. My pastor gave this to me. Great. Um, also, we've interviewed, as we told you, uh, Jeremiah and Michaela Harrison, who's uh, who they're oblates from the yes. Abbey. Right. Um, Tell us a little bit about the community, because, I, you know, like I said, I've known about it. I don't know if a lot of people do. I, I think it's a wonderful thing that's going on in America 
orders uh, like yourself. I mean, obviously, the Benedictines have been around for a long time, but they're springing up. And it, it, it's, I think, a good sign uh, uh, that's happening. And uh, please tell us about the uh, community and your location in Oklahoma. Okay. Um, I, I'm sure our listeners will be interested. Short version, the bare facts, or do you want the long story or the middle story? Your stage, Father. It's your stage. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, our monastery, is origins are a bit uh, peculiar or uh, mysterious. It sort of resulted from two projects that met. On the one hand, you had students at a university, University of Kansas, in a great books program studying Western culture, Western civilization, who converted to Catholicism, a number of them. Not that this was the, the subject in the classrooms, but outside of classrooms, it was just sort of in the air. There was a grace. So this one project was these students wanted to do something with their newfound faith. They wanted to do something more courageous. That that time in the seventies, it was kind of radicalism. Was the you know student radicals and the you know uh, this sort of thing was in the air. But we wanted to do something radically good, and so we wanted to find one of our professors said, "Well, find him. You're find a monk. Bring it back. We'll start a monster just like that." You're Twenty years old. Okay, we just go off with this. On the other side of the ocean, there was an abbey, 900 years old and more. And they were wanting to found, they had so many vocations they wanted to found, and they thought America would be a good place for this contemplative life. There are plenty of Benedictines in America, but they've been involved historically in universities, schools, parish work, uh, whereas this is the old monastic life that goes back to just prayer and work all day long, the simpler existence and these monks in France thought this would be good for America, you know, so and these young students, some of them found this abbey in France and found fell in love with it. It's perfect. Medieval It's like a very old church, you know, by this river. And it's, uh, I don't know, it just uh, has this whole history being with a hermit there. It really uh, captured their imagination in their hearts. And so they they wanted to do something. The monks wanted to come over. But they said, we can't just give you a monk, but if you would stay here for a while and receive a formation, we'll send a group over to America and found a monastery. I thought it might take 10 years, but it took 25 years. So this was a long stay a lot of us made over there in France. We learned a lot. And then in 1999, on the threshold of the new millennium, we came back. And after trying various places, it just turned out to be the heartland around Tulsa there where we had the most welcome. A lot of us are from Kansas or Oklahoma, it was sort of, we had doctors and teachers and, and all sorts of people, lawyers wanted to help this foundation. So it was a providential place, Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're not really in the city though, we're out in the wilds, sort of in the foothills of the Ozark Mountains near Arkansas. And it's very, uh, very, very rural. And when we got here, I think there was less, there are less Catholics here than in mainland China. But now there are all sorts of families who moved in to be around the Abbey. So that's Clear Creek starting in uh, about 1999, Benedictine monks. We started with 13 monks. We now have about 60 uh, and uh, with many more coming soon. And so we've been blessed in many ways. That's it's amazing. It's amazing, Father Abbott, who's here joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, and we're discussing Rorate Celli, Marian Sounds of Advent. But we're starting out talking about their order, which is a Benedictine community belonging to the Solemn Congregation. I'm amazed when when I know a little bit when uh, when anyone knows 
a little bit about the history of uh, of Saint Benedict. Um, the 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 what would you call it, Father Amato? I hate calling it a motto, but kind of the motto was pray and work. And right. it seems like that's what you guys are doing. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you could just a quick background. You could educate our audience a little bit. Isn't that how Benedict basically helped to civilize Europe? The, the 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 Benedictines going into Germany, setting up monasteries, praying and working and teaching the people and basically time considered a barbarian uh, a barbarian nation, not nation, but you know what I mean. Um, how important is it to just focus on basic things like yes, praying and working? Well, the, that'll take me about five hours to cover that one. Anyway, <laughs> well, we can. Uh, first of all, monasticism as we know it, Christian monks really began in Egypt after the era of persecution. So some courageous people went out to live out in the wilderness where they could pray better. And they were just going to pray and consecrate themselves to God in that way by just praying. They found, though, that a man would go crazy trying to pray all day. He just, You just can't do this. And they had a kind of revelation showing them that what they needed to do was alternate between prayer and then simple work. And that gives you a certain balance. You know, there's some body, there's some work. And study, it sort of goes together, studying like as we call it, studying the Bible, whatever, and then doing manual labor, simple chores. There were thousands, thousands, and looked over into other countries. You know, it affected conversion. He was and others. Uh, Saint Benedict, who was around the year five hundred, you know, inherited this sort of history from Egypt and applied it then to Europe. Now, there's an story here. Time, who was a philosopher, writer was in politics, he was in the world and gambled and it cost him dearly because he was thrown into prison outside of the politics, was, was put to death. And so Boethius was engaged in the public life, which you would think is a useful thing, the most St. Benedict, on the contrary, just went out as far in the wilderness as he could be, and came to be totally apart from society. In Benedict's vocation, immensely faced the, the Earth, uh, uh, was saying that it led to Europe because over and over again, you think I'm exaggerating, I'm not of in Europe. A village is founded around them, then a town, sometimes a big city like Paris, and over and over and over again, this rule of state, most people don't know much about, it was, it was the same, just put in writing had been learned from the monks in Egypt and other places, they came. The Irish did this too. They were a little bit more severe. They were a little less perhaps violent punishments and this kind of thing. But the rule of St. Benedict in Italian or countries that began Italy, Norcia, uh, his, his rule really took over as being a better fit for men and, and uh, it really changed the face of the earth. I, I'm 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 so happy, Father Abbott, that you you went through that explanation. I, I I'm a troublemaker, Father. Like I argue with a lot of atheists and things like that. And then when I hear a lot of atheists and they say, "Well, the Catholic Church, 
No, they they never really contributed anything. I always say, what do you think? Europe, Europe just magically got civilized. What do you think? It's just like they woke the Germans or the the English or the Irish, as you mentioned, just woke up one day and said, "Oh, we got to get civilized. We're acting like barbarians." No, it was the Catholic Church. Yes, the right. Catholic Church that went in there, then and like Joe Resinello, Father, and I'm going to hand it over to him. Like he likes to say on the show all the time, Catholicism is kind of like painting by numbers. So, right, you 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 just kind of follow it, listen to it, and and, and always stick with the basics. Praying, working, you know, you would think that you would, you know, some of these, um, we can't really call it barbarian nations, okay, would, would, would just take that for granted. No, no, no. They needed to be taught that. They did, and they became civilized, as you said, when you think about Paris or when you think about, you know, uh, Germany after, after the fall of the Roman Empire. They thrived because, because the Catholic Church went there and taught them how to thrive. Again, that's my, that's my little diatribe, Father Rabbit. I'm going to hand it over to Joe. Well, okay. Father, we're talking uh, about the chant that you guys basically put out, the Marian Sounds of Advent. And uh, forgive me, I'm going to mangle this uh, pronunciation. Roraticelli. Uh, there we go. Translated, it's Drop Down Ye Heavens. That comes from Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, which ironically um, is read during Advent. It's always the first reading. I always right. remember that. Uh, to be honest with you, Advent's a very special time for me. We could talk about that later. Yes. But it comes from chapter 45, verse 8 in the Vulgate. Um, how is chant incorporated into your daily life? Well, could I say a little bit about the Isaiah thing now? This is sort of important for the theme. It, it, it'll, it'll help open into the question of chant. So <clears throat> these are things that are so big. That you can't see it, like Chesterton said. You know, you can you can miss seeing something that's big enough right in front of you. And so Isaiah is this what's been called sometimes the, he's been called the fifth evangelist. Is so close what he's saying about the nativity of our Lord or about the uh, passion of our Lord. Tremendous voice, and he, he's echoing the the desire of all the people in the Old Testament, these generations wanting the Messiah. And he's calling down, he says in one passage, you know, rend the heavens and come down. We, want, we need God on earth somehow. And then the, the particular Roraticelli is he's saying, rain down. I mean, for the ancients, dew and rain is sort of the same thing. And the clouds are considered to be dew or rain. And so rain down the influence of God. And then the earth, the Blessed Virgin Mary, really, is going to generate a savior, uh, you know, someone's going to save us. And so this is a fundamental, like you say, a fundamental uh, idea of Advent. In our, in our Gregorian chant, it follows us through the year. We follow the different seasons and the great aspirations of the human heart that are found in the Psalms and through the whole Bible. And usually Gregorian chant is just putting the Bible to music, but not just any music. This is the official music of the church. Even Vatican II recognizes this. And uh, it gives a sort of interpretation, added interpretation to the text of the Bible. It gives you the church's sort of understanding of a text. And so it becomes a really precious vehicle of civilization at its highest level. And uh, so this naturally was developed among monks, especially Benedictine monks, who were kind of the, the main army of monks for many, many centuries until then the Dominicans and Franciscans came along with a new, they had a new dimension to add to the story. 
without taking away the first and then the Jesuits and others. But for a long time, the only monks were the Benedictines, really, basically in Europe. And they're the ones who composed a lot of this Gregorian chant. Unlike modern times when each composer is a little personality whose name is on everything, that these monks never got any credit. It was a, they were anonymous. They, they composed these melodies and put them together with the text. So that our life is liturgical. We, we, we follow the, uh, you know, seven times a day and once a night, we get together to pray. And that's what we do, you know, when it comes to prayer. We have personal prayer too. We say the rosary and we have, you know, personal prayer, but mostly this liturgical prayer. So Gregorian chant is just a vehicle to make that more, make it better communicated and touch the heart more. And as God invented all this, so we did, monks just sort of followed along, like you see, painting by numbers, they, they just sort of followed this. And God is the great father. It strikes me that it is the perfect use of God's instrument, which is us. In other words, your voice is the instrument. There is no need for guitars, pianos, <clears throat> drums. It's like the 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 way the the way all the the sounds are are all coming from the human voice, which is of course created by God. And the Gregorian chant always struck me as the song being offered back to God. Um, right. Is that would that be would you consider that an accurate? That's very good. My, or is very my good. interpretation of that correct? That's good. If you want to <clears throat> use an analogy, a little kind of a picture of this, picture a mountain uh, at the very top of a mountain. If you've ever climbed a mountain, the water there is pure. You can trust it. Down the mountain, you can't. You never know the dead animal got in the stream. You have to be careful. But at the very top, it's very, very pure. Gregorian chant is kind of like a, it's not magic like you know the works of uh, say Bach Mozart it's it's small but pure and very very it's the beginning of the music in the west really it's where it, then it comes down there's little streams and you finally get into sacred polyphony with several notes at a time and then you get into the you know uh, baroque music and magnificent classical music all the way down to music so we're now we're now down in muddy mississippi it's no longer you know we get lots, lots the, of mud lots of mud there the Delta lots of in mud. new orleans you know and uh well there's some wonderful things jazz or whatever but i mean it's no longer the little stream of pure but you know if you want to understand music this is kind of i grew up in pop culture myself and my parents were very and I, I listened to so much of that but when when hear classical music you didn't really hear it and all this monastery, there's nothing but Gregorian chant, and you begin to really that. Then, when you hear some classical music, you say, Oh, I get this now. This is downstream from the Gregorian chant, a little easier to understand. And I'm not, I'm not being, uh, I don't have interference from so much noise and music that I can't hear. I can hear the classical music. If you want to understand music, you start with the Gregorian chant and, and go down the mountain all the way, and you find that how it all unfolds. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Father Rabbit joining us here at the front line. Um, I would mention, I'm going to hand it back over to Joe. Um, I love when I walk into a parish, any parish, like on a, on a Saturday afternoon, hoping to go to confession. The parish is usually, the church itself is usually more dimly lit at that time. And the pastor has the good sense to have Gregorian chant playing very softly yeah. in the background. If you want to talk about moving the soul, the need to move the soul before before confessing your sins. Gregorian chant does the trick. Joe Rasinello. 
<clears throat> Father Abbott, this particular collection of music uh, features uh, the Saturday Mass, which uh, is what's it called, dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary during Advent. You have the Divine Office um, that's also sung in this, as well as the Mass of the Vigil of Christmas. Just an aside, uh, why is Saturday always dedicated, not just during Advent, but also all Saturdays? Many times, priest vestments they'll wear, if it's not a, a saint day, they'll wear uh, you know, a Marian vestment on Saturday. Yes. Why is that day dedicated to Our Lady? Well, I don't know for sure. It goes way back in the Roman Catholic liturgy, <clears throat> has set this aside for Mary Saturdays when there's not some other big feast. My theory is that it's because on Holy Saturday, the only person left standing was the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, she, she still had hope. She hadn't given up. She hadn't fled you know, like Peter or others. She was still there. And so like, uh, it's her day somehow. She uh, was the one that, that, that got through that and kept the hope alive. Now, there might be other reasons, that, but I, I do not know otherwise why exactly Saturday, it works out well, though, just before, before Sunday, you have this day, it's kind of a lighter day, an easier going day, and it's uh, the, the, the liturgy masses for her are usually kind of shorter, easier to get through, it's not cumbersome, and it just somehow works out nicely to have a Saturday dedicated to Our Lady. Well, that, thank you for that explanation, Father Abbott. Joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, we're talking about Rorate Celle, um, Marian Sounds of Advent. Let's keep talking about sounds, all right? We're talking about music. We're talking about um, Gregorian chant. Um, in St. Benedict, uh, Holy Rule, Chapter 19, the text states the following, Father Abbott, uh, quote, let us so stand to sing that our mind may be in harmony with our voice, close quote. Please elaborate on what, what was St. Benedict teaching the monks by, by this rule in particular? Well, he's saying, Joe, he's saying that <clears throat> as we are painting by the numbers, like you say, we're following the rule, we're following the liturgy, and it's all predetermined what we'll be singing, the psalms and everything. You don't have a choice there. The danger for monks, such as we are, you know, is to fall into a kind of routine and to just be singing the words and having our minds elsewhere. We, we, you could be tempted in this kind of situation to be uh, letting your mind wander and not then have a harmony between what your heart is really thinking and praying and what you're pronouncing. And so there has to be an effort to bring the mind gently back to what it is we're, we're saying. The same thing could happen saying the Holy Rosary. You, you know the Hail Mary so well, you just would be wandering off, and that's okay if it's in God, but if you're wandering off to Walmart or something, sorry, I shouldn't mention the particular, <laughs> but no, no, wandering okay. off to the supermarket or some kind of thing, you have to say, wait a minute, what am I doing? I need to bring my mind back to uh, what I'm saying here. I need to be in harmony with the, the prayer, otherwise it doesn't have much value. So so the uh, St. Benedict wisely says, you know, we need to make this effort to be vigilant and to pay attention to what we're doing which could be, could could be uh, there could be a temptation to to slack off in that in that sense. Father, let me let me ask you a practical question for our audience out there at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Or some people may be asking. In fact, I, I know that because I'm asking it in my mind. What do you what do you do about distraction now? Whether it's whether it's a group of Benedictine monks singing Gregorian pr praying Gregorian chant and their minds wander, or whether it's Joe and I 
uh, praying our rosary with our families. And yeah, unfortunately, our mind wanders to all the chores you have to do tomorrow or your your money issues or this or that. What would you recommend um, as, a, as a spiritual father um, for, for, for people like us to, to, to combat distraction? Or what should we do when we find ourselves to be distracted in prayer? Yes, well, I imagine... A lot of good families, they're going to sit the rosary at the end of the day, and so much has happened. There's so much going on that they can barely, you know, they, they have a, a lot of distractions. But we monks are the masters of distraction. Now, we really understand distraction because we do this all day long. And so you can imagine. But the saints have taught a lot about this. <clears throat> One short answer would be, well, evangelize your distractions. If you, during the rosary, are thinking about the education of your child or something like this, then you have to say, well, why am I thinking about this? Is this in danger? And I, and I can offer that up to God. I can say, well, I've got a challenge in, in, in my life. And, and I then you're no longer in a distraction. Then your distraction becomes part of the prayer. Because <clears throat> real prayer doesn't just remain repeating of the words that you know by heart already. That's the first level, just the, the vocal prayer. You move up then to meditating maybe on mystery of the rosary or the feast day you're in and then it also you know involves higher up just being in conversation with god and that's a higher prayer than the, than just saying the, the vocal prayers but if you're too far off base which happens well then you have to gently bring your mind back if you're trying to catch a big fish you don't jerk the line you know if you're a good fisherman you let the fish run a little bit and you slowly bring it back in you know, to, to catch it. And so you need to bring your mind. And, and so if you're too violent about this, you'll get so disgusted with prayer, you won't come anymore. But if you learn the art of dealing with distractions as a good uh, man of prayer, well, then then uh, you'll learn to evangelize the distractions and sort of use them as a springboard for prayer. Well, thank you for that, Father. Because like I said, I, I admit, uh, you know, I'm again, I'm not unique in this. I find myself many times whether I'm praying with my family or, or praying myself, probably by when I'm myself. That's when I'm that's when I'm most um, distracted when I'm with the family. I try to focus, you know, yeah. on the wife, the son and, 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 you know, so I'm less distracted. But that's, I think, a practical thing that our audience uh, would be interested in knowing because we, we, we certainly are um, confronted with that. Uh, Father, we're going to. We're probably coming up on a break, so uh, let's do this first. Where could where could our our listeners out there uh, find out more uh, if there's a website or anything like that about what you're doing? Perhaps even contribute and uh, and help uh, help you guys out with what you're doing in your mission. Well, this, these things in the modern age are easier to represent visually, but uh, we have a website. We don't we are on social media really. We monks it doesn't fit us. We have a website clearcreekmonks.org and that has a little a little uh, rubric a little title at the top of the front page that says latest it's like the latest news you go there there's this there's this album or you could go to sophiamusicgroup.com sophia music group they're the ones producing the record sophiamusicgroup.com Otherwise, if you just click in Clear Creek Monks, you'll probably eventually find it. It'll be on sale beginning uh, the 8th or the 9th of September, I think. And people can pre-order now. Excellent. Thank you for that, Father. So out there at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, if you want to just contribute 
um, and help out all, our fellow Catholics uh, like Father Abbott and everything he's doing. Or if you want to hopefully purchase the music again, Gregorian chant is 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 soul moving. It's it's truly soul music. All right, because it moves your soul. It elevates your soul to think about divine things. Um, and I mean, Father, I try to listen to Gregorian chant as as often as I can. I don't really even listen to other than the fact that I work in a restaurant, so I have to listen to the popular music yeah. on loop all day long. <laughs> but when I'm, you know, when I go to sleep at night, you know, I don't have this, that, or the other thing. I try to find a, a long Gregorian chant that is on loop. And I fall asleep to that. I find yeah. it's much, much, much yeah. more relaxing. We do have to take a break, Father Abbott. We're going to come right back and continue the conversation at the yeah. front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Rasinello, Father Abbott is joining us here. And we're talking about Roraticelli, Marian Sounds of Advent. Uh, Father, remember, is um, with the Benedictine community of Our Lady of Clear Creek Abbey. Um, stick around. We have another half hour. Don't go anywhere. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everybody, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello, and we are having a great conversation with Father Abbott of the Our Lady of Clear Creek Abbey, and the topic of discussion is Rarate Celli, Marian Sounds of Advent. With that, I'm handing it over to Joe Resinello. Father, I think Advent sometimes gets overlooked. I mean, it did by me. That's why I bring it up. I mean, I was raised Catholic, went to Catholic school, and outside of the Advent wreath, that was it. But ironically, um, and serendipitously, how I came into a deeper understanding of Advent, um, I, I believe was very providential. Um, I got married late in life, and I would always leave around the feast of St. Francis Xavier to go to India. And I would spend Advent um, with the missionaries of charity. And that's how I know Isaiah because the sisters, the, the young novice would read Isaiah, and it yeah. always, like, forever, it's burned into my mind. And my Advent was very stripped down. I mean, I live near New York City, and I think Advent for most Catholics in America, it's very materialistic. You got the lights, and I would go to India, and there would be nothing like that. I'd be walking amongst, like, very poor people, and then I would be thrown back into an airport and all of a sudden there's lights and it was almost like I was in a time machine. And as a result, it gave me a very deep um, like understanding of what Advent is about. Talk about that, because I, I think the meaning of Advent gets lost amongst Americans because Christmas is such a consumeristic. It, I mean, it's it's just in your face in a way that especially in New York City uh, that I don't think people get that true spirit. Talk about distraction. Yeah. yeah. When you think about it. Yes, Father, please. Well, uh, <clears throat> your mature Catholics, adults, kind of all realize this and try to do things to, to fight it off. <clears throat> but uh, I can remember as a child, now I was growing up in a house of agnostics and, you know, we had no real religious orientation, but Christmas was a big thing for kids. And it's the externals. It's seeing, hearing Christmas carols, seeing lights. That has a certain effect on people at a certain level that God uses, I think. <clears throat> but when you're going to spend all of Advent at 
office parties and buying gifts and everything, obviously you lose, you're losing something precious that you can get back to. So part of the, part of the uh, <coughs> solution here is that some people are living it. Monks, they're not the majority of the population of the world, but a lot of people are living it and they're living it for you and they're, and they're, they're experiencing this. Everyone should be a little bit monk and monks should be monks completely. <coughs> But it's true that for the true monk now, where I was in, in France, there's no heating in the church. This is a very big stone church, very cold, near a river, very humid. And we would suffer, I mean, in Advent, because we're fasting also a lot, fasting a lot, and it's very cold. And then you, the, the poverty of Jesus in the, in the manger you, comes home to you because of the lack of uh, all sorts of human comfort, comforts. Now, you know, uh, the monks are living in a very austere uh, environment and uh, the liturgy is much more austere. There's less music, less, don't use the organ uh, at all, which we do sometimes. And uh, it just all is very, and that makes for an appreciation of Christmas that is formidable. And so it's true, if you don't experience some, some effective, real actual poverty you miss part of the understanding of what god did in coming down from the total splendor of divinity to a little place with people who didn't even have a room they could rent or something you know so so then you really but most people i think especially children get that a little bit even though they're not living in harsh conditions so god uses a little bit of everything but there comes a time when it's just too much right and you need to push back on the materialism, which often is just for the businessmen, people are making money. It's not, you know, what we really want. It's that we think we want because people are making money from this. So there's a bit of, that's a bit cynical. As you get old, you get a little bit cynical about these things. But yeah, we need to, we need to uh, probably make a resolution and some families do this to have some special prayers and, and stay away from the, all the hubbub of uh, the modern advent. I agree. I, 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 I agree. Uh, go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and also as a result of my experiences, um, my wife and I, uh, and I never did this. This is as an adult in in my forties. I started. We started to fast, and 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 I want to explore that a little bit because Advent is a mini Lent. Uh, you know, right. it, it's important to do that. Like we take it, you know, it's 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 half the time of Lent. It's not as long, but but at the same time, fasting is so important. Christ tells us this. He says only through prayer and fasting, and 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 Advent is a great time for people to do that. That you know, we don't have to go crazy, but like something that pinches a little bit. Americans, we lose that. I mean, like, like we don't do it any. We don't even not eat meat on Fridays anymore, which is nothing. You know, please talk about the need for fasting, something we could incorporate during Advent. But even during the year, it's important. Uh, what a subject <clears throat> in the monasteries we see. The problem in monasteries is have young men who kill themselves with fasting. They, they go, they go converted now. They serve God. And they, they know no bounds. They want to fast, you know, uh, at least in the first years. We have to moderate that. So because it's not an end in itself. Fasting is a means. There's an end to all this, you know, which has to do with God. 
directly in union with God. There, there, there's something at the, at the at the heart of monastic life and of all the Christian life. There's something extremely precious we're after, and fasting is just a means. But like you say, when the the means is more or less taken away, uh, you're in trouble. And <clears throat> I think we Americans in general just eat too much anyway. We, you know, uh, 150 years ago, people were just slimmer. They didn't have that much to eat. They were happier for it. We don't like to be hungry. That's not, you're supposed to, not supposed to like that. It's just that, you know, somehow uh, you counterbalance it for the, we eat too much at other times. So during Lent or Advent, you're counterbalancing for that. The idea would be to have just the right amount of food every day. You just could forget about it. You wouldn't have to worry about it. But we don't have that. We generally, even monks, eat a little too much during other seasons. And so we counterbalance. And there's something really precious about it. And it's healthier. And you, f you feel better for that. But it's a, it's a combat. You have to be willing to be a true Catholic Christian. You have to be willing to, to fight a little bit. And think of the martyrs, people who had to to give up their lives to keep their faith, you know, and still behind the communist uh, curtain during the, you know, the Cold War, there are people suffering immensely to, to hang on to their faith, and even now in places. So, <clears throat> you know, if you don't have violent martyrdom, you have the white martyrdom of a, of a bit of ascetic life, and uh, people will take to it, but it's not easy to get there. Maybe our pastors, maybe the pastors in your parishes don't preach it enough, but uh, you're right. It would be really great to get back to some fasting. Yeah, I, it's one thing you mentioned, like, you know, what, what people have gone through and go through now. All right. Particularly Catholics and other Christians throughout the world. All right. Uh, when it comes to like and we look at our problems and we're like, we really do. We have a problem. Got a roof over my head. All right. Right now, at least I'm not being completely persecuted. OK, yeah. I have food on the table. I have a job. OK, these are things we take for granted. I'm so I'm so happy that both of you decided to talk about Advent, really, because um, I, it's important. We just we're caught up. Yes. You know, sometimes people might listen to Joe and I, I think we're a couple of, uh, you know, uh, let's say wacko communists. No, no, we're we very much believe in, in free market economics <coughs> as being a great tool and vehicle to rise out of poverty. Of course we do. OK, but we've abused it so much in this country, a, a season like Advent where you give something up, okay? And even when Christmas comes, do you really have to give your kid 10 gifts? Could you give your kid two? Yeah, you like, like, thinking, and all crap, excuse my language, Father, but all garbage that by that by Easter, all right, is gonna be gathering dust in a corner somewhere. So I'm, I'm happy that both of you brought that up. Let me just piggyback on it a little bit. Um, I believe it was uh, Dietrich uh, Bonhoeffer, uh, what he had to say about Advent. He said, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. I think he just described me and many, many other people. My guess is, Father, being troubled in soul usually means you're, you're either in a sinful state or you're struggling with a particular sin. The Catholic Church, through our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, uh, through his church, offers us the sacrament of reconciliation. Uh, talk about the need for um confession penance um during particularly during the time of advent well then again it's just the something of an ideal season now advent doesn't have all the seriousness of lent it's not the same 
There's a certain joyful note. There's certain about something about it that's less penitential. It's a very good time. It's colder usually than it is in Lent, and and uh, there's a certain awareness. And so, uh, you know, uh, why do we why do we need penance and all? Even our Lord was troubled. They said when when there was Lazarus there, he had been in the tomb. He comes, he sees his his sisters, and, he, and even our Lord was troubled. He wept, you know. So you really, on the deepest level of all this, more than just being hygienic for yourself, that's, that's, that's part of it, but, you know, or even good for your spiritual life, to enter into penance would be to participate in the passion of Christ. You talk about a spiritual power. The, the thing that's going to advance you the most in your spiritual life, absolutely, is to enter into that source of power, which is the passion of Christ. It's the power behind all the sacraments, you know, the Blessed Eucharist and all the sacraments. It's the grace that uh, saves the world. And, and uh, St. Benedict, because we're Benedictine monks, of course, you know, and his rule says that, that uh, you know, uh, we participate in the passion of Christ through patience. The martyrs have a patience that's very quick. You have one or two days and you're dead. For the monk, it could be, you know, 60 years or whatever. For people in the world, you, you have to be patient with things for a long time. Well, united to the passion of Christ, that becomes power. Some people feel like they don't advance in their spiritual life. Well, there you're going to advance. If you, if you are participating, you know, humbly, you're not going to save the world. We don't have to save the world. Mother Teresa would say, you know, you know, carry your cross, but behind Jesus, he's He's going to carry the cross in front, and you're not going to try to, as young people do, try to carry the cross in front of Jesus doing more than he did. It's forget it. We're not, we can't, we're little, very little beings. We're very little folk. We will just a little bit. We're not going to try to do gigantic heroic penance either. But, uh, you know, uh, we need to participate in the passion. So that's about Lent. Advent, there's echoes of this, you know, the wise men bring the various gifts, including myrrh, which was something used for embalming bodies. There's a, the little Jesus already knows because he's a divine person and he knows even as humanity somehow that where he's headed. And uh, Christmas is the most beautiful, you know, joyful event, but it, it, it looks towards the passion. He knows uh, we have a painting in France, in one of our monasteries, and you see the uh, infant Jesus in his mother's arms, but he's looking to the side and he's looking at another part of the painting where he's on the cross. You know, because the, the, the Christmas, you know, uh, still realizes there's more to be done. He came for a purpose, Christ, and, and you can participate in this, and your spiritual life will blossom forth, you know. So that's an aspect of fasting and all this that's beyond just, well, you need to lose weight and you need to be more, uh, you know, disciplined in this kind of thing, which that's part of it. That's okay. But it, it has a deeper mystical uh, dimension. Thank you for that. Father Rabbit joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, and we are discussing Raratticelli, Marian Sounds of Advent. Father is uh, of the Benedictine community, Our Lady of Clear Creek Abbey. Joe Racinello. Father, I think as Americans, we're looking for the big event. I mean, this is sort of how we, we're, we're wired. Um, but God doesn't operate like that. 
God operates through small things and inadequate people. I think of the 12 apostles. I would never have chosen them. As far as the first pope, I would, if I was hiring him, Paul's the pope. Peter is not the pope. He has a better resume. I'm not hiring him. But that's not that's not how God works. Um, and I think we have to be careful about that. And I want to share a personal story. I mean, how I always envisioned the Blessed Virgin. Um, she was invisible. The world ignored this woman. They didn't see her. And I used to go to this one dry cleaners. Um, it's an upper middle class town. And there was an, a poor woman. She was probably from Central America who would bus in. And I would see her in the window working hard. And I used to say, this is how Our Lady was. All the people of the town walk by. They get their laundered clothes and they walk out and they ignore her. That's how God works. We have to see the small things. And in Advent, it is a small thing. Joseph and Mary. I mean, we miss it. Talk about that because we're looking for the big bang. It doesn't work that way. How do we pay attention to that? Because we have to quiet our souls down. We have to open our eyes and our eyes are blinded um, and we don't see. That's true. That's true. Uh, God is both the biggest thing. We miss it. And it's the smallest being, you know, and uh, we miss that too, but not entirely. You have great works of literature. You have great works of art and music. You know, we have a, a very rich Catholic culture. It's been somewhat put cast aside by the major you know, movers and shakers of our society in this, this time. But uh, it's there. You can't get rid of it. They, and, and there is a, there, are, there are wonderful saints like St. Therese of Lisieux who understood this one thing about, you know, being small. And she, and she, uh, just transformed a lot of the world with that. And, and then uh, and you have this in various saints, the lives of saints is that, that lesson about poverty, about smallness. And uh, the monastic life tends to do that to you. Now, we do have clothes we wear, and they're okay. And the food is okay. Uh, if you're living by yourself as a hermit, you could have utter, utter uh, dire poverty you could live in. But when you have a community of men, some are stronger, some are weaker, you sort of have to think of the weaker and you have to live a kind of moderate religious life. But still, it's way poorer than in our person. We monks don't own anything, you know. Uh, St. Francis said you could own, you know, uh, a tunic or something, but we own nothing at all. The Franciscan idea of poverty is own nothing. St. Francis pushed that to the limit and just absolutely uh, transformed the hearts and minds of, of Europeans at his time. St. Benedict's idea is a little different. We'll own everything. We'll have big buildings. We'll have, uh, you know, instruments and music, organs, or we'll have uh, lands and farming, but it's all for God. The individual monk owns nothing, is, can claim nothing at all. He can't have anything of his own, you know, but so there are different ways that poverty has been employed in, the, in history, but uh, everyone has to get that. And if you have sanctifying grace, if you go to confession, if you go to mass and everything, you have that seed of understanding of the in you and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You've got it. You would just have to pay a little bit of attention to it. Read some good authors, read some saints, read some good authors, and you, you can find that spirit of poverty and, and understanding. 
But if you're too carried away with the world and successful, then you, you won't see it for a while until, until things are going to fall apart because you're going to meet the cross. Everyone, the richest man, the poor, everybody's going to eventually meet the cross and difficult things. And then you will be able to understand poverty you know, uh, better. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned about, um, about wealth. Um, because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Father Abbott joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Um, the, the monasteries grew in wealth. Now, again, like you said, uh, the individual monks obviously own nothing. Okay. But as far as the, the, the monasteries themselves through work, not because of, you know, hitting the lottery through work and over time, these monasteries became wealthy. In fact, a lot of people would argue that was the, that was the impetus for both the Reformation in Germany and in uh, and in England, it was it was one of the central reasons was to go and get the property that the church, the monasteries had amassed over the course of centuries. Okay, um, I'm glad you mentioned that. But it doesn't it show, Father, that if you if you have this if you have this kind of abandon, if you don't worry about wealth, if you keep it down to the basics, prayer and work. Okay, the material will be there. The material things that you need not only will be there for your life food shelter clothing okay at the end of the day we don't need much more than that they will be there for them through the dignity of or or, or the dignity of your labor and how god blesses your work god will take care of you i i mean am i wrong in my assessment there no that's that's right and that's maybe the weakness of the benedictine rule it's just too effective it works so well so St. Bernard came along and his companion said, well, this, uh, you know, the abbeys are too rich. We're going back to the marshes. We're going to live extremely poor life and everything. But they had the rule of St. Benedict. So after a while, they were rich, too. They had giant abbeys and it's the same thing. St. Francis said, well, I'm just not having anything. OK, so that was his take. But it's true that it, uh, or it just if you if you have a devotion to St. Joseph and you you pray to St. Joseph, you're going to be okay. It might not look that way sometimes. God doesn't always make it look fine, but you're going to be okay. <clears throat> it's just those persons who are really offending God gravely. He needs to get their attention, so they're going to they're going to be knowing the depths of misery sometimes. The alcoholic or drug addict, they're going to really touch bottom before they realize. But <clears throat> in a family, might have might not have enough difficulties. But if you have the spirit of faith like the Benedictines, whatever, you you will get what you need. Uh, you know, it may not come the way you think, but it will come. And so it is a real uh, kind of economic uh, success, the Benedictine life. And sometimes that's a, that's a problem. There's so much wealth that you, I knew of an abbey in France where the abbot had to tell all the monks in the chapter room, I formally forbid you to accept any more cakes from ladies around the monastery. All our cabinets are full. All our, we cannot take any more cakes, you know. <laughs> so that's kind of how it is. Father, thank you for that. I will say before handing it over to Joe, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of us, I know me, I, I'm, I'm guilty of this myself. Sometimes I feel a little bit down. Um, you know, I'm 54 now. So, you know, for me to go to work, my sciatic hurts. I pulled my hamstring last week. It's not easy. And I think got to remember what you just said. Okay. I'm blessed. I have a job. I could get up. I could go to work. I have, if you want to look at it that way, in a, in a material way, God has provided me the means that I my family if if i never have anything be that that okay <clears throat> relative to the rest of the world i'm wealthy you <laughs> know when you yes. think about what people go through in other nations uh -huh. joe Rasinello, 
Well, where we're broadcasting is primarily in Fairfield County, Connecticut. I mean, it's a very affluent um, county, um, to be honest with you. People who are hearing our voice do very well. Um, and frankly, you know, I'm, I'm not rich, but I can't complain, you know, nor, you know, can anyone that I know, really. I, I think of The Shepherds. Like, I saw the movie The Nativity. It's a popular movie. You, I don't know if you've seen it, but it wasn't a Catholic presentation. But I thought they they communicated uh, the Nativity fairly well, and it was the shepherds, as our our you know gospel tells us, that found Christ first. They were poor, and then the kings of the earth came, the Magi. After, I think sometimes if we go to the poor. They will show us Jesus. A good priest told me this. I'll never forget it. He said, Joe, Jesus is never usually found in the front of the church. He's in the back, and he's broken and alone and ignored. But if you go to him in the back, he will take you by the hand and bring you to the front. And I believe that. I believe it's in the poor that if we go to them, they can teach us something very, very, very unique and give us sight that we won't get anywhere else, and he'll bring us to Jesus. That's what happened. The shepherds were the first. The kings were second. Could you talk about that, your thoughts on that? Well, uh, like most religious houses, poor come to us. We live in a very poor part of the country. It's not like where you are. It's a very not affluent at all. It's a Cherokee nation. Uh, it's the, the soil. The soil is poor, uh, and there's not much agriculture. There's no work. There was a lot of oil, petroleum discovered, but of course, certain people took all that. Anyway, uh, we meet that in people coming who need help, and we, we can give alms, whatever. But as Mother Teresa said again, she's a good. Uh, uh, one about this, she said, you know, Jesus comes to us in a distressing disguise of the poor. It's not easy at all to deal with really poor people when they're in distress. And some are just looking to get money for drugs or this or that, and you have to discern all this. You know, I find that's very consoling to be in a place with a lot of poor people, but not at night, because, because you know, you don't know what might be going down, but just the simplicity of, of people is very reassuring, whereas the very wealthy or uptight, and they're afraid of kidnapping. There's a whole atmosphere when I deal with them. But God loves us all and loves everybody. And so uh, the poor, that, that is definitely a, an intuition that's profound, the poverty. Spiritual poverty is what Jesus preached, you know, less the, the poor in spirit. But that's somehow linked in some ways to the poor materially. And so, you know, Mother Teresa understood that. All the saints have, if you study any Curie of Ars or anybody, you know, down through history. They, and so we live in a monastic environment that's where there's adequate wealth. We, we deal with the poor that come to our door, whatever. But uh, others, you know, uh, in various very poor places, Jamaica, places they deal with incredible poverty in India, Calcutta, just a, a man corresponds with me from India, a Brahmin, from, uh, Hindu Brahmin from Calcutta, and he, he says, you people in America will never have the least idea of what poverty really is. But, you know, uh, that's somewhat true. Uh, it's, it's important, but uh, our work isn't to go out among the poor, but they do come to us. It's funny they say that because even, even the poor in America, and God bless them, okay, but most people would acknowledge are much better off 
then I mean, Joe has been to India, as he said, he's been to Haiti. Father, I'm sure you've seen other parts of the world where you're talking. The poverty is not something we're not talking about what you would find in Newark, New Jersey or 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 in New York City. OK, this is, you know, like Joe mentioned on one of our shows, you know, kids who are naked in the street, they don't even have a shirt to put on their back. OK, yeah. we should. We should all try to keep things in perspective. Uh, Father, we're coming up on it because, you know, we're on the radio. So right. uh, unfortunately, there are time limits, but I do want you to take the last minute. Uh, talk about the need for our audience members to incorporate the the beautiful music into their prayer life. Uh, where can people find the Marian Sounds of Advent, which is a beautiful collection of music? Um, the, the, all of it. You have the stage, Father. Well, if you would just listen to this CD, buy it. Or borrow it or steal it. I don't care. It's <laughs> us. And you would listen to and read some of the, the words, the lyrics, and, and, and it's a whole kind of uh, initiation into a kind of different world than uh, what is our secular American world. And it could be a real uh, help to just you know, listen to the music. It's therapeutic, but it's more importantly, spiritual. You can find us at our website. ClearCreekMonks.org or at SophiaMusicGroup.com, and otherwise, just keep an eye open. It'll come. It'll come your way. You'll see something about it. You know, and uh, I think it. I think you would appreciate it. We're not great musicians. It's, it's our second CD. We do are trained in music, but I have a lot of young ones who are just still not too perfect. But we did it as a pretty good effort. I think it'll be a pretty good record to listen to. And it could do, God can use this to uh, touch your soul. Absolutely. Father Abbott, thank you so much for joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Really enjoyed the conversation. You're welcome back here anytime. All right, Joe and Joe. Great. Take care. God you bless. You too. And thank God bless you. And thank you all out there for joining us here at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app. You'll have access to all of our station's content and wherever you see Joe and I on social media. Help us out with a like, a subscribe, a share, particularly on YouTube at The Frontline TV, The Frontline TV. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.